welcome back to another episode of Finances. Today on the podcast, we have Michael Callahan, Eric Sacchetta, and we want to welcome Kevin Kenny, who is a new employee at our firm, as well as a new contributing uh, member of the podcast. Today, for Kevin's first topic, and, and maybe a first topic for a lot of us, is getting married, or, or perhaps not even getting married, but merging finances with a significant other in some way. This seems to be kind of a tough topic for some people, and we wanted to discuss it and maybe give you some tips or talk about what what other people are doing. So, yeah, I think you know the the having talked to a lot of people over the years about what they've done and friends of mine and clients and all these different things and and you know what I did with my my wife, and I think the the number one thing is there is no right answer. Right, everybody does it differently. Some are more successful than others, obviously, but I think whatever works for you is the right way to do it. So like Matt said, we're just kind of going to give you some ideas of different ways to approach it, different thoughts on you know how to start the conversation. But again, whatever is, is best for you is kind of what everybody's the most happy with, not necessarily what we tell you. I would say, and when it goes back around, I can mention some of the things that me and my wife do, but usually there's one person in the couple that that's kind of their area of expertise. And one thing to just keep in mind is even if that's you, you do want to have it a situation where if something were to happen to you, there's still someone there to back up what you're doing. So we always encourage everybody to have a financial advisor, but specifically if you're someone who's really good at handling the finance and your spouse doesn't really care about that or whatever, having some outside resource and someone help you because we've had situations where something happens to somebody who really takes care of all the finances and the other spouse really doesn't even know where everything is. So I think that's pretty important. Yeah, but- definitely. I was going to say, even if you're single right now, I, I have something, I call it my doomsday document, which is a little, you know, scary, but Mor- morbid, yeah, a little morbid, <laughs> just a little But but I have my money kind of all over the place. Right. And it all makes sense in my head. But if somebody was to look at it from the outside, they're going to go, what the hell is he doing? So I kind of have a, a document that some people have access to, that basically spells everything out, right? This is where I have this. Here's the account numbers. This is where I have that. This is where this goes, all that. So, you know, with the spouse, maybe even on a higher level, you should talk about these things and, and have, have even if they're not dealing with it on the day-to-day, have them have some sort of understanding to it. 100%. And, you know, it, it's easy to kind of get just caught up in, in day-to-day life and, and kind of forget to do that. And, I mean, full disclosure, literally probably a week ago, my wife said that exact thing to me, right? Is I do this for a living so that I, I kind of handle a lot of the day-to-day finances and stuff like that. And she literally said to me the other day, you know, if something happened to you, I don't know half of what's going on, yeah. you know, because she did a while ago, you know, but things have changed and life has moved on. We've refinanced mortgages. We've done, you know, all these different things over the years. She doesn't know about the new slush fund. She doesn't know about or... the slush fund. <laughs> um, and it just kind of, it's nobody's fault. It's just, you just don't set aside the time to kind of, make sure that everybody's on the same page. So that's one of the things in, in you know, on my to-do list is kind of make sure that everybody knows what's going on so that that's not a, the situation anymore. Yeah, and I think it really does uh, help to schedule time on a weekly or monthly basis to really, you know, sit down without the kids, you know, just carving out specific time to really look at the finances. Because usually one spouse tends to be handle the checkbook and the day-to-day expenses. And then another spouse maybe does the long-term planning and make sure that IRA accounts are funded. But I totally agree with Mike. You know, a lot of married couples are looking for the perfect plan 
And when they don't find it, they don't do anything. So you need to do is just a preliminary plan, get started. And if it's not perfect, at least you have something. So yeah, a couple other things I, I've noticed with married couples over the years, there's tends to be one that's a spender and one that's a saver. And the other thing that I've noticed too is couples, there's one spouse that tends to be very risk averse. And then there's one that seems to be a risk taker. And I think you're usually attracted to you know, someone that has, if you were kind of left brain, the other person's right brain. So it usually balances out as you're looking at spending or investing as far as your personality type. Right. So actually, let's let's back up here because we kind of dove right into it because I think we're all excited to talk about this and we're talking about, you know, well into a marriage. But let's back up to before you even get married or, and again, like I said at the beginning, it, this doesn't necessarily have to apply to people who are just legally married. It can also apply to domestic partnership or, or just somebody you live with on a long-term basis. You know, I, I think if you're planning on merging finances with somebody in some way, before, before you do anything, you really have to sit down and lay it all out on the table, right? I think Mike was telling a story of, of one time he had a client that they got married and one of the, the spouses had a, an enormous amount of debt that the other one had no idea about, right? And that caused a huge rift in the marriage. And, and I don't know what happened to the end of that story, but I, <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, it ended great. So just, you know, before you do anything, before you even come up with the plan, just lay everything out. Say, this is what I have. This is what I owe. These are my goals. This is where my money is. Just just examine the other person's picture just so you kind of get a better idea and that starts the conversation at least. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to your point, and, and again, you're right. I mean, it, and over the years, it's been more than one client, right? Is There's always situations like that where, you know, one person might have credit card debt. This situation was hadn't filed some taxes in, in some time and, you know, had some, had some IRS back taxes. But it, it's... I think it's easier to take the emotion out of it at the beginning if everybody's honest with each other. It's a lot harder once you're into a relationship. And, you know, it's easy at the beginning to say, you know what, I don't want to deal with kind of the ramifications of admitting this, so I'll just put it off. Because the longer you put it off, the harder it becomes to talk about. And then once you do, it's hard to separate the emotional part of having been deceived from the actual fact of having the debt, if that makes sense. You know, so in the situation that Matt was referring to with the client of mine, I mean, it's it's working out. It seems like, you know, they're oh, well, working good. through whatever. But, you know, you're right. I mean, I guess being upfront and honest and, and just kind of saying, here's the situation and how do we approach it and what's the best way. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's working out for sense. them. But I, I was reading uh, TD Ameritrade released a study a few years back that said, at least for Generation X, 41% of those marriages that end in divorce, the the reason is because of money. 41% is a pretty big number, right? So, you know, you want to maximize your finances, but you also want to maximize your happiness too, right? And it seems like these are going more and more hand in hand. So again, sitting down, talking about it, putting all your cards out on the table, and, and maybe we can, whoever listens to this podcast won't be in that 41% number. Some of the things that really affect your finances would be your kids. That I was just pulling up a number uh, to raise a kid today, just average is two hundred thirty-three thousand uh, dollars from the time they're born to eighteen. Um, that's, so that's, that's not including college. In marriage, yeah. As far as you know, funding kids' retire or uh, college accounts and issues, you know, as far as whether you want to send a kid to a private school, public school, you know, what sort of enrichment programs like 
ballet lessons and music lessons, you know, those are things that put a stress on married couples. Absolutely. I mean, it'd be hard not to, right? And like you say, I mean, yeah. that, that 200 and change before you even consider the college costs is, is it's no wonder money is the, the main driver of, of stress in people's lives. Yeah. So you essentially have to formulate a game plan as to how you're going to do this. And like Mike said at the beginning, there are so many different ways. There's no one size fits all for this. There's no perfect answer. It's really going to come down to what you and your spouse or you and your significant other are are comfortable with, what you think makes the most sense. So I guess the, the first strategy is to keep everything completely separate, which I, I personally, in my opinion, doesn't make the most sense because that's when you get into trouble about people, you know, if you have no idea what's going on on the other side of the table, that's where these kind of miscommunications can continue to happen and, and could put some strain on the marriage, especially if people, you know, are then falling behind or going into more debt, and, but you're holding up your end of things. So I, I think keeping things completely separate, and maybe you guys can either agree or disagree, is not the best strategy. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. I think, you know, it leads to a number of different issues, but, you know, I think I've seen different approaches from, you know, each person paying certain household expenses and keeping, mostly keeping it separate, but each person has certain household expenses they're responsible for. I guess just going back to what I did when I got married, you know, I don't know, a number of years ago now. (laughs) Oh, come on. How many years? Uh, Coming up on, what year is this? (laughs) On 12. Coming up on 12 years. Um, so essentially what we did was we basically at the same t- at, at the time we raised roughly the same amount of money. Essentially what we did was we said, okay, we'll each put a, a set dollar amount into our own savings accounts and everything else went into a joint checking account. So all of the expenses, all the savings goals, all that kind of stuff was a joint goal. Most of our money went into that joint account to kind of cover those goals. The money that went into our savings accounts wasn't very much and it was specifically for things like, you know, if if you know, she wanted to buy something specific that she just wanted to spend the money on and not have to worry about what I thought about it. She could just do that and I could do the same. If, you know, we wanted to buy each other Christmas gifts or birthday gifts or whatever it was, it didn't seem weird that we were buying them with joint money. So it was really just so that we could have spending money that wasn't necessarily, didn't have to be checked in on, right? You could just spend it on whatever you wanted and the other person had nothing to say about it. But all of the bigger things like the household stuff and the savings goals and retirement saving and all that, was all joint because it all happened in the joint account. Right. To me, that makes sense because, it, you know, if you're spending all of the, the money, if you put everything into the joint and everything's spent out of the joint, that's where some disagreements can come in about, like, you know, the, the one spouse goes, gets a $200 haircut or something like that, and, and the other spouse is like, what, what did you spend that for? But, again, if you separate it and say, well, this is my little pool of money, I can do what I want with it, the other spouse shouldn't care, right? As long as all the bills are getting paid and everything is going into that joint account – it seems like a decent approach to me. Yeah, we kind of do something similar. I'm a big saver. Meg's a huge spender. Like she would go shopping as a full time job if that's what was av- was available. We're all going to be in trouble after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All yeah. in trouble. Um, but but basically, we d- we do something similar. So we each have our own checking account, a uh, t- little bit of money in it to be able to spend. We have a joint brokerage account, and then you know our retirement accounts and all that. And actually, what we kind of do is because I'm the person who usually pays attention more to the finance 
Meg is actually the person that does the logistics of paying a lot of the bills so that she knows what they are and how much they are and all that stuff. And then essentially because she's a spender, whatever she doesn't put towards the bills, she now has to spend on anything she wants. And it, it doesn't matter, you know, like you were talking about $200 for nails or this, whatever's left in that account, you can spend it because we've done the savings goals that we want. We've put it the amount that we want in the joint account. So it's a way for people to sort of stick to their tendencies, but still be heading towards the achievement of your short and long-term goals. Well, like anything else, it's about expectations, right? So like you say, if, if, if your expectations are to have a certain savings amount and her expectation is to have a certain amount to be spent, everybody gets what they kind of expected to happen and everybody's happy, right? It, it cuts down on the friction essentially. Right. And I think, you know, Kevin is, is our resident expert having been married a lot longer than the rest of us. So I don't, I don't know if you want to is a chime lot in. more than zero. <laughs> no, I mean, it's amazing. You guys really hit it on the head as far as, you know, with your spouses. I mean, Ellie and I do something very similar. I sort of pay the, the monthly bills and do sort of the longer term planning. But we, we share everything. She, you know, she has access to the joint account, access to the retirement accounts. So it's just kind of being open and honest. And there's times when there's more month than there is money. So you just kind of have to say, okay, we're going to have to postpone that particular payment or the, the house needs a, a new roof or the car broke down. So you need some of that like flexibility. Uh, but the other thing I guess that I was came across was the idea of like emergency cash that, you know, usually when we get married, our spouse is working, but then when the kids come, usually like in my situation, my wife, you know, took about almost 20 years off and I was the, the breadwinner. So it's important to have like emergency cash. And I guess the general rule would be if there's, you know, a single person earning, you need to have like probably a year's worth of emergency cash. If two people are, you know, double income or earning, probably only six months of cash. Uh, that's just, just a general guideline. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we for all of our clients, we always promote having a cash reserve, um, whether it be, like you said, the, the kind of six months to one year window. I wanted to briefly circle back to kind of, the, the different strategies we can take with with merging finances. And we just talked about basically pooling everything together except for your spending accounts. But I'm curious to see what your guys' thoughts are on sort of the opposite of that, wherein you pool, you, you budget your monthly expenses, right? So you know what the mortgage is, you know what all the utility bills are, you know what, you know, the day-to-day, you know, paying for gas or insurance or anything else. You kind of figure out what all of those equal, and then you contribute either by you know percentage of income or you contribute exactly half each into a joint account. And then everything else goes to savings instead of pooling everything and having a set amount go to savings. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I think you know it's yeah. it kind of depends on what you're what you agree on, right? And I know that's kind of a cop out answer, but I guess it's it's kind of true, right? Is that you know, some people would look at doing the percentage of income and the person who makes more money might feel like they're paying too much. Or if you just do it equally, the person who makes less might feel like they're paying too much. So it kind of depends on what everybody's feelings are on that. Um, I think the, the somewhat the risk you run if you say, we'll just contribute enough from each of our checks for the expenses. And then hopefully each of us will save what we think we want to save. To Eric's point, I think you'll, you're going to have one person saving a ton of money because they're the saver and the other person's spending it all. Right. And there's going to end up being resentment that look at all the hard work I did saving all this money yeah. and, and the things I passed up. 
and you went and spent it all, and you know why should I? Have, it, it ends up being a resentful situation. I think the most important thing is kind of agreeing on a goal and saying, okay, here's our long term goal as a family. Here's how much we should be saving towards that goal, and make it just any other expense, right? I mean, that's that's kind of we talk about that all the time with savings. Is you 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 make your saving goal essentially like any other expense where it's not discretionary; it's almost mandatory, right? You should be saving X dollars every month so that down the road you can accomplish the goals you set out for yourself. Yeah, I think that I do almost all of the savings out of the money that I make. And Meg, pay, I know this sounds funny and she'll laugh when she listens to it, but she, she pays the bills from her money and I actually do all the saving because I like doing that and she likes spending, even if it's on spending on things that you wish you didn't even have to pay, right? But the reason I don't get bothered by that is it's not that we never spend money, it's that... She likes going to, you know, Target and Kohl's or whatever. I like going on a vacation, right? And she does too, but I like saving to plan to go on that vacation. So at some point, it's going to be a big amount of money that's spent all at once that that I see as more exciting than, you know, going shopping every few days to buy a bunch of stuff. So she gets the excitement of that. I get the excitement of saving or yeah, it's like a, towards that. it's like a psychological thing at the end of the day because yeah, exactly. in theory it's all the it's all pooled dollars, right? Exactly. It doesn't matter who's paying for what, but if you kind of parse it out that way, and like you said, it you know it, it gives you more enjoyment to know that quote unquote your dollars are going to quote unquote fund this one thing, even though in actuality it's not really. But right, yeah, I like that idea. That's good. That's no, important. I mean, you, like you say, you're you're kind of taking advantage of the psycho- psychology of the whole thing is that you kind of know e- each of your makeup and what how you feel about it and you play to your strengths. Right. Right. And the the other thing, which uh, Mike mentioned, but is that, and and this doesn't even just apply to like married couples, but if you had some, if you have something that's a bill and then it goes away for some reason, you paid off your car or whatever. If you keep that bill, like you mentally keep that bill and you put that same amount now into your savings or joint savings account or whatever, and then do something deliberate with it later on, rather than just spend it, that's how you kind of accumulate wealth. So you say like, mm-hmm. how do I do a lot of savings even beyond retirement accounts or whatever? I just have bills that I had in the past and I just keep putting those same numbers into my into my accounts. And I guess the big thing too is just the flexibility that things happen as married couples, you know, emergencies or whatever. So if you start off with an initial plan or a formula, you know, six months, a year down the road, as things change, your plan needs to be flexible too that, if you're too rigid, you'll definitely, you know, make a situation very stressful. That's an important point, too. Yeah, I mean, like I say, when I got married, everything was dramatically different than it is now. And as we mentioned earlier, once you have kids, it's all out the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if, if, you know, the last point I'll make before we begin to wrap things up here is if you're not comfortable as a couple talking about this on your own and you kind of want an, a third party, go go talk to a financial advisor. You know, we... A lot of people see us as the people behind the portfolios and in building financial plans, but in a lot of ways, and we always joke to each other about this, we feel like therapists too, right? And being able to have sort of an independent third party to kind of help you through that could could certainly help some people. So true. Um, having an advisor as an independent in- intermediary to bring husband and wives together to get them starting to talk. Sometimes, you know, some spouse just don't want to talk about money or they're too busy or distracted. So, I, you know, I know it's a little bit self-serving, but it is so true that you have that, you know, it's like your financial coach, your trainer that brings you together, 
makes you pull out the paperwork, makes you fill out the questionnaires, ask those questions. And you can really save somebody's marriage by being a good advisor that, you know, you help them pay off some debt, you help them fund their retirement. It's, you know, you are their financial coach. Yeah. Not all heroes wear capes. Some punch numbers into spreadsheets. (laughs) Uh, So with that said, as always, we want to thank you for listening. And uh, we are looking forward to speaking to you on the next episode. I think the few episodes we have coming up at the end of the season are investing biases. So talking about different things that hold us back when building portfolios, as well as managing real estate in a financial portfolio. And then we have one more episode of 2030 coming out after this. So until then, take care. Financers is produced and edited by Sachetta and Callahan, LLC. All disclosures are posted to our website at sachetta.com forward slash financers. S-A-C-H-E-T-T-A dot com forward slash F-I-N-E-A-N-S-W-E-R-S. Thanks for listening.